Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Good, kind of good, kind of bad, and uh, definitely crazy uh, for our martinis today. Jim, let's start with the good. And for those who've been paying attention to the negotiations uh, over a possible infrastructure bill in the U.S. Senate, uh, you know that uh, those negotiations have officially broken down. President Biden meeting a number of times with West Virginia Republican Senator Shelley Moore Capito to work things out. Biden came down on his total price tag quite a bit from $2.3 trillion to about $1 trillion. Uh, Capito went up to pretty close to a trillion dollars. I think it ended up being about $928 billion. Uh, but in the end, it was how to pay for it that uh, killed everything. Republicans will not raise taxes. AP reporting that Biden wants to raise the corporate tax rate from 21 to 28 percent. He also, of course, wants to tax people making over $400,000 a year. And we're not really sure whether that means individuals or households. That definition keeps changing, too. So Biden's moving on from Capito and uh, is now going to start talking with Bill Cassidy of Louisiana and and trying to get Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema on board. But the Republicans are adamant here about taxes, and uh, you're hearing it from um, a couple of the people that you would think Biden might be able to arm twist here, but they're having none of it. Uh, tweets from Manu Raju over at CNN. Senator Mitt Romney, a key GOP negotiator in bipartisan infrastructure talks, insisted that they will not agree to tax increases to pay for an infrastructure deal, a key Democratic demand. Quote, we are not raising taxes, Romney told us. Another one who might be uh, persuadable, at least initially, uh, from the perspective of the Biden administration, outgoing Ohio Senator Rob Portman, also having none of it. Also a lead GOP negotiator. Uh, Also, very clearly against tax increases to pay for the package, says Manu Raju, quote, the last thing we want to do uh, in an infrastructure package is to hurt the economy as we come out of COVID. So taxes would be a huge mistake, uh, Portman told Raju. So, uh, Jim... Doesn't mean that with reconciliation, Democrats can't hammer it through anyway if they get all 50 Democrats on board here, uh, even though Manchin doesn't like the reconciliation process. But uh, good for Republicans standing strong here. I think a lot of them probably would like to see infrastructure projects in their in their states. But uh, when Biden just uses that as a vehicle to raise taxes, you got to say no. Yeah. And if you're the Republican, if you're a conservative, you must look at how Senate Republicans are playing the hand they've been dealt and be reasonably pleased. You don't have to be doing cartwheels and, and breaking out the party hats. But, they, you know, so far, very little. The, only, the one thing that's gotten passed is the COVID relief bill. And there's really no way for Republicans to derail that. They did the through reconciliation. Could Democrats go back to that? Yeah, they could. Um, looks like they can only do it once, to, uh, according to the parliamentarian. And they are going to want to play that card, you know, very carefully. Um, and the other thing is that, like, so the argument for, for nuking the filibuster and, and, you know, trying to ram everything through with a 51 to 50 vote uh, with Kamala Harris breaking all those ties is, well, Republicans are being unreasonable, Greg. They're just not willing to negotiate. Of course, each day there are days you where know, the Republicans and Biden are in negotiations. Now, the interesting thing, the decision of, you know, it, it, does the inability to reach a, a, a compromise 
a synonym for they're not willing to negotiate. Clearly, Republicans are willing to negotiate. They're willing to negotiate and compromise up to a certain point. And they've moved quite a bit off of their initial offer. And by the way, Biden has moved quite a bit off of his offer. There are a whole bunch of progressives who are like, oh, why are we wasting time with this? Oh, time. You know, the argument is that the, the, the you know, recognize the reality that time is not really on the Democrat side here. And then, you know, they've got two years until the midterms. Uh, the outlook for Democrats in the House is not great. The Senate is 50-50. We'll see how things shake out. And I think it was Sean Trend. And if it's not, I apologize to Sean Trend over with their politics. But it was saying, look, if you're a Republican and you, get, you, and you know you're going to lose on something, you know that you know, you, you're in a 50-50 Senate, you're pro- there's some issue in a two-year span of Democrats having control that you're going to have to say, okay, we'll go along with that. Infrastructure spending is it. And infrastructure spending without tax increases is probably the best thing because then you can say, well, look, we're not ridiculous. We're not being stubborn. There's no good re- good re- reason for getting rid of the filibuster. See, we were willing to compromise. Look at this. And also, by the way, you've eaten up a huge amount of the legislative calendar working on this. And oh, by the way, you've ended up getting to bring back stuff to your, de- to your districts. And you can say, oh, look, this you know bridge we're building or look at this new highway interchange or things like that, which as much as Republicans like to complain about pork, they, you know, pork is in the other guy's district. When the money comes back to your district, then it's vital infrastructure investments. So you know, all in all, they're playing their hand pretty well here. We'll see, like, if you're a Republican, you don't mind getting a deal as long as it avoids tax increases and it takes a long time. And so far they've done a very good job of dragging out negotiations and eating up time in the legislative calendar so that Democrats can't pass some other much worse idea uh, that would have more long-lasting effects on on the state of the country. You notice how Biden went from two point three trillion to one trillion, and the media is talking about, oh man, he's really trying to get a deal. He's trying to reach out to Republicans, and you know, maybe on some level that is the way I read that is there was at least one point three trillion dollars worth of complete garbage in this bill that he's willing to kick <laughs> to the curb pretty early on in these negotiations. Yeah, you didn't really need that stuff, now did you? Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, Biden's all about uh, spending money and taxes and quote unquote free stuff, Jim. And uh, we kind of roll our eyes at the free stuff because obviously somebody's going to pay for it and that would be taxpayers. But I've got two words that are going to make everybody happy and might be the most compelling two words of any ad we've ever done. Free bacon. That's right. Free bacon. That's what you're going to get with Moinkbox. But uh, look, uh, we've uh, had the chance to uh, talk about Moinkbox a number of times now. I've had a chance to sample their products. The very first thing I had out of the Moinkbox was bacon. I remember coming downstairs and Mrs. Corumbus was cooking it on the stove and the smell was fantastic, uh, permeated uh, the house and uh, the, the taste absolutely lived up to uh to the smell it's probably the best bacon uh that i've ever had and that's something that uh, even kevin o'leary said when uh when moink was on shark tank so uh if you could see and taste the bacon from moink box you would order it right now but i'm telling you it's about as good as you're ever going to get and you can get it for yourself when you go to moinkbox.com you know a moment ago greg and i were talking about the bad pork this is the good pork <laughs> Moink delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and wild-caught Alaskan salmon direct to your door, helping family farms become financially independent outside of big agriculture. Their animals are raised outdoors, their fish swim wild in the ocean, and Moink meat is free of antibiotics, hormones, sugar, and all the other junk that you find pre-packaged in the meat aisle. Sign up at moinkbox.com slash martini and get a year of bacon for free. 
And then pick what meats you want delivered with your first box. Change what you get each month and cancel any time. This is fantastic meat. I have to tell you. I mean, the bacon is uh, uh, right off the top, some of the best bacon you'll ever have. But they also have the steaks and the burgers and the chicken and so many different things, the fish. uh, And it's raised the right way. So if you have any concerns about how some of that meat is normally processed, you don't have to worry about that all at all with Moinkbox, and it's just really, really tasty stuff. And so uh, I'm definitely glad I've had the chance to uh, try out Moinkbox, and I know you will be too. So join the Moink movement. Go to moinkbox.com slash martini right now, and listeners to our show will get free bacon for a year. That's one year of the best bacon you'll ever taste, but it's only for a limited time. It's spelled M-O-I-N-K box.com slash martini. Again, moinkbox.com slash martini. All right, Jim, yesterday was primary day in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Much more uh, activity on the Democratic side because, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, Republicans had their um, convention-style approach to nominating their statewide candidates back in early May. There were a few primaries for legislative seats on the Republican side, but virtually all the attention was on the Democrats, and all of the races for the statewide offices were pretty darn lopsided, as we expected. Unfortunately, Terry McAuliffe is once again the Democratic gubernatorial nominee. Got over 62% of the vote. No surprise there whatsoever. Uh, Equally horrible, Hala Ayala, who is my delegate right now, uh, just reprehensible in every conceivable way, is is the lieutenant governor nominee. And because we can't have every scandal-ridden statewide office holder leaving all at once, Mark Herring, the attorney general who also admitted to blackface, uh, has been nominated for a third term as attorney general. But there is some good news here, Jim. Even Democrats have some standards, it appears, because Justin Fairfax, the current lieutenant governor, who was uh, seriously accused of rape by two different women, was running for governor. And not only did he lose to Terry McAuliffe, he actually came in Fourth, with only 3.55% of the vote. So that is a pretty stiff rebuke, I would say, from even Democratic voters. And the only person he beat in this uh, primary was Lee Carter, the self-avowed socialist from the Manassas area, who got only about two and three quarters percent. And if that wasn't good enough, Lee Carter also lost his primary to stay in the House of Delegates. So we're going to have a detestable ticket on the Democratic side in Virginia for sure. But uh, some some people we'd like to see go away are going away. Yeah, I guess we can kind of say good for you, Democrats, for effectively saying rapists, not communists, rapists, not communists. Uh, but either way, I, I look, you know, there are two interesting things that... Uh, uh, come to mind. First is that the turnout wasn't terrible, but it was also wasn't great. I had said yesterday on Twitter that uh, I hadn't seen too many campaign ads, and some people were saying, "Well, if you watch the you know uh, the local news at six p.m., you're going to see a lot more of those." So okay, so maybe there were TV ads, but you know, yard signs. I mean, the mailers were coming in the mailbox often, but by and large, I don't feel like that there was an enormous amount of intensive uh, enthusiasm or excitement in the uh, uh, in, in the Virginia politics right now. Um, and that if anything, I think that there's going to be a significant letdown. I think Trump is an enormously galvanizing force for the Democrats. He was, you know, so in 2017, 2018, 2019, and in 2020 in, in the state politics, in Virginia politics. And he's not on the scene the way he was in those four years. And so chances are there's a lot of Democrats who are just not that into it. The other thing which I think is kind of interesting is that you and I have made a lot of fun of Terry McAuliffe, although one can reasonably argue that he's the least scandal-ridden 
of the last three governors, not the highest bar to clear. Wow. And, you know, like, look, the because Virginia so rarely has two terms, you know, someone become governor twice because you're limited to one term, at least one term, at, you know, at one time. Um, it's very unusual to go back to the well again to get somebody else. These were uh, African-American women candidates and we were further to the left, no longer part of the Democratic establishment. It was kind of a sign that, hey, Virginia is going to get its own squad. And it became very clear that at least in the, the Democratic primary electorate was just not interested in it. They, they saw Terry McAuliffe, they saw him as old reliable, and they were fine with that. Now, you and I are not going to say hooray for Terry McAuliffe, but we are going to observe, okay, this demonstrates that AOC politics doesn't play in a state like Virginia, which is blue. I mean, we can still hope that it's kind of purple and that there's still a chance for Youngkin and Republicans this fall. I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule it out. I wouldn't say he's the favorite, but I think it's certainly... Uh, Democrats certainly are whistling past the graveyard if they think that McAuliffe's got a, a slam dunk. And I think that there's, you know, only moderate uh, uh, to, to non-existent enthusiasm for Terry McAuliffe right now. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see if, uh, if they can do that. And, you know, Youngkin already is up there with ads pointing himself, painting himself as an outsider. Um, it, you know, I know that McAuliffe and Northam have done uh, ads together. I don't know if Virginians feel enormous warm and fuzziness towards Ralph Northam. And the thing that I think is kind of interesting when you look at how much, how thoroughly Justin Fairfax was rejected by the electorate in this race, Greg, why was it so important to keep him in place then? <laughs> Good question, because don't forget in a debate, he compared himself to George Floyd because mm. Terry McAuliffe and others wanted him to resign without a full airing of the facts. My a look at the Virginia races that the state has obviously gotten bluer and bluer over the past several years. But if Republicans are going to have a chance, this is going to be the scenario where I think they're going to have their best chance because you've got Washington controlled by Democrats. And usually the other party does better in Virginia when that's the case right after a presidential election. Youngkin has plenty of money and uh, he's probably not going to say too many stupid things. He's a pretty disciplined guy. So if uh, the conditions were ever as good as they're going to get for Republicans in Virginia, it's probably this year. The question is whether it's going to be good enough. And I, I'm a little skeptical of that, but I'm happy to be wrong if I, if I am wrong on that. That is the voice of several, you know, right of center Virginia guys who have just been beaten down <laughs> since about 2009. So. Come on, Yubkin, big believers of us. Oh, man. All right. Let's talk about something that makes me much more comfortable than the idea of another four years of Terry McAuliffe as governor in Virginia, and that is my pillows. My pillows are just super comfortable. They're supportive. Uh, they've got just what you need for a great night's sleep. It's been great for me for the past several years, and I can't recommend it highly enough. And you can refresh the pillows of every room in your home because the premium my pillow is now at its lowest price ever. Their current offer is for a limited time. You can get a queen size premium my pillow for just $29.98. And a king pillow is only $5 more. Now, these premium pillows will never go flat, and they give you the best night's sleep every night. They're made right here in the United States. They have a 60-day money-back guarantee, and they come with a one-year limited warranty. So go to MyPillow.com and click on the Radio Listener's Square, enter the promo code MARTINI, or call 800-874-0104. While you're there, take advantage of the deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets and the new My Slippers. Get your premium MyPillow today for only $29.98. But you're only going to get that rate with our promo code MARTINI. So call 800-874-0104 or visit MyPillow.com today. 
All right, let's talk about our crazy martini now, Jim. And we know that our politics right now are polarizing. And you watch friends who disagree politically on social media can get uh, pretty awkward. Maybe some of you have been part of those discussions and things have gotten a little bit tense. But uh, for the most part, we're still friends with people that we disagree with politically, right? Well, maybe not so much. And one side seems to end those friendships much more than the others. The American Enterprise Institute's Survey Center of American Life released the results of a May survey which looked at the issue of friendship, and the study looked at a range of topics, including how friendships survived during the pandemic, which is not very good for some people, who Americans rely on for personal support, and uh, how many close friends most people say they have, on and on and on. Well, here's what uh, the survey has found out. For most Americans, political affiliation is probably not a prerequisite for forming a friendship, but both Democrats and Republicans are far more likely to have friends who belong to their preferred party. About 8 in 10 Democrats and Republicans say they have at least some friends who share the same political identity. Republicans have more bipartisan friendships than Democrats do. 53% of Republicans say they have at least some friends who are Democrats. Uh, About one-third, 32% of Democrats, say they have at least some Republican friends. About 15% of the public say they have ended a friendship over politics. And uh, Democrats are twice as likely as Republicans to do that, 20% versus 10%. Liberals are also far more likely than conservatives to say they are no longer friends with someone due to political differences, 28% to 10%. And no group is more likely to end a friendship over politics than liberal women are. 33% say they stopped being friends with someone because of their politics. For extreme conservative identifiers, 22% say they have canceled a friendship, a handful of points higher than the national average. But in contrast, a whopping 45% of extreme liberal identifiers have ended a friendship over politics, twice the, twice the rate of their conservative counterparts. So, Jim, anybody who spends a considerable amount of time on Twitter or certainly reads the comments on various political posts should not be overly surprised by this. But uh, what does this tell us about the state of our politics and just how we relate to one another right now? Yeah, you know how some studies, you see them, you see the headline, you read down into the data, and you're like, wow, I did not expect that. This is not one of those studies. <laughs> um, living down to certain stereotypes, I guess you could say. Um, Greg, I'm going to do a joke that is somewhat religiously based, but I hope all of our listeners are okay with it. Greg, how do we know that Jesus Christ was the Messiah? Rising from the dead? Because Jesus Christ was a man in his 30s who still had 12 male friends. It is tough to make friends in your life. It is tough. I guess you could say true friends, the friends who will be with you through thick and thin. And it gets, I think people would say that, you know, you can have lots of friendly acquaintances, but true friends are tough to make and keep and stay in touch with and not grow apart the more you go through life. So my first thought is, who are these people who are like, oh, I've got so many friends, I can afford to start implementing some sort of political filter that I've got so many people, we're not talking about just, you know, people you connect with on Facebook or you book or you met with once or something like that. I mean, like, you know, actual friends. I mean, you know, it's, it's fascinating to see how utterly uh, all encompassingly politicized things have come. I would say quite literally within our, within our generation and lifetimes, Greg, because I remember back in high school, I was the only one who was interested in politics. Politics was not cool in the, you know, uh, late eighties, early nineties. It was MT- 1992 MTV came along with Rock the Vote. And the whole idea was trying to make politics cool, trying to make voting cool. And I, you know, to, to not go off on the longstanding rant I have, politics isn't really supposed to be cool. Government is not cool. Government is boring. 
government is supposed to be boring because government is important. Government is not supposed to be whipping you up into a frenzy of excitement. It's not supposed to feel like a concert. You're not supposed to see, in many cases, Democratic presidential candidates, you know, doing concerts with Bruce Springsteen and Katy Perry and Jay-Z and all these other figures because the thing is that they're different. If you ever go to your town council, you go to your city council, when your board of education is discussing the school budget, it's not whiffing you up with excitement. It's not going to make your heart pound. It's not going to fill you with adrenaline and, and ecstasy. That's that's a different thing in life. Politics is kind of this, it's, it's how we run our country. It's how we are. And yeah, it ties into our values. And I can, undermand, I can understand having deep-rooted fundamental disagreements with your friends. I've had plenty of them. But you know, the idea of saying, well, you're not my friend anymore. I'm going to throw away everything else we've done together. Whether it's, you know, uh, it goes back to, you know, to college and classes you're in together or, or you know, times you've lived together, uh, ups and downs of life, you know, like the song says, I'll be there for you. <laughs> you know, that's, the, that's what friends are. And it, you didn't see, you know, like people don't, you know, the idea of like, a, well, I want you to be there when I'm at the roughest points of my life, but only if you politically agree with me. Who among us can you know can afford to impose that kind of standard? We're lucky to have the friends we have. Friendship is is, is you know it's, I'm not going to say it's totally rare. I'd say friendly acquaintances are common. True friends, the ones who will stick with you when things are really bad, the ones who will. <laughs> the old joke was the ones that'll help you move. You know <laughs> when you can't afford to pay them, and you're talking about pizza and a six pack is the reward at the end of the day. Like that's you know. That's what makes life worth living. And the idea of, well, look, I don't think your your view on tax rates doesn't line up with mine. No, sorry, it's not. You know, um, I, I, it's I, maybe it's because I've, I've you know lived most of my life with a couple of exceptions in the Washington D.C. area, D.C. area, and almost all of my friends. Some of them are actually very apolitical, but some most of them have you know either worked in government or worked in. Uh, media or some aspect connected to the political world. You know, I've had friends who are Democrats. I've had friends who are libertarians. I've had friends who are all over the spectrum. And I have friends who are further to the right than I am. I can hear a chuckle, a portion of our listeners saying, that's not that surprising, Jim. <laughs> you squish, you rhino. Um, and it's just kind of a thing of like, who, how impoverished are you if you need this ideological litmus test more than you need someone who will be there when you've had, you know, the worst day and you just need to vent and you just need somebody to listen to, or in some cases, a shoulder to cry on something where, you know, life has gone really, really, that's, you know, that's what friendship's about. Not, you know, here's my, here's my uh, American conservative union scorecard. Please check the box. <laughs> Please check all the positions you agree with and I'll rate you. And if your ACU rating is too low, that's it. You're not my friend anymore. And I'm not inviting you to the party. Very well said. Very well said. Yeah. When politics becomes all consuming that you literally can't have a pleasant uh, and civil conversation with somebody who disagrees with you, even if you're talking about something completely different, uh, we've definitely gone off the rails. And so, uh, like you said, uh, politics was much better when it was boring. Uh, The people who paid close attention were the ones that showed up to vote, especially in non-presidential years. And uh, we just carried on better. I mean, there was for most years, you didn't even know what your neighbors believed or, or your adult friends <laughs> believed, because uh, most of the time you were talking about what was going on in the neighborhood or their work or kids or whatever. And then maybe once in a while you saw a bumper sticker or a yard sign. You probably never even mentioned it to them or vice versa. And now all of a sudden, everybody's got to be in each other's business about their politics. It's not a good trend. It's not. And oh, by the way, you know, this is one of those trends like it's in our power. <laughs> we can say, oh, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to bother, you know, 
Uh, I've got friends who are different, and I'm not going to, you know, reject them as that. But I guess if, I guess if there's a small group of, it seems, you know, on the political streams who decide only, I'm instituting a political litmus test. I guess there's not much we can do to stop them, even though I think this is going to end up with a lot more lonely and isolated Americans. Yeah, and the more you get to know them, the more you'll have a civil conversation about things that do come up, and you might have a chance, might have a chance of uh, persuading them in a different direction if you uh, shout at them and put angry faces on Facebook. I'm guessing. Probably not so much. Anyway. Indeed. <laughs> on that note, with the uh, NBC, the more you know, uh, going in the background of our conversation here, uh, have a great day and we'll talk to you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Please do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast and tell your friends about us, regardless of their political uh, persuasion. Uh, also, we are very grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. You can get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Wednesday, and please join us Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch. There's always something crazy going on in the news, and we're here to help break it all down for you. Air travel is up as more Americans are getting vaccinated and back to a normal life. Jeff Spasos is going to space and taking his brother. And voter ID laws are still being disputed. Hey, it's the Chicks from the Chicks on the Right podcast. Download and subscribe to our daily podcast to hear us pick apart and pick on the news of the day. Politics to pop culture, nobody's safe, but it's all fun. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.